Support for this program is provided by Chevron. We're here today because of a devastating storm that shocked the people of this city. And to even the morning after, we're still uncovering the true depth of the loss. Uh, and we're still not out of the woods. Um, tornadoes touching down, as your reporter said, severe flooding, sadly loss of life. This is America fast forward. So, Catherine, a lot of times when a natural disaster hits, the eyes go directly to the president for the federal government's response. But every time, even before the disaster hits, it's the governors who are really all hands on deck. We can get more aggressive. We can be more prescriptive, more targeted in terms of... Can you walk me through the role that they play in natural disaster response? Yeah, so in terms of natural disaster response, governors are often the ones who are on the front lines. We just would beg folks to stay off the roads. I've uh, ordered our Department of Emergency Management to start preparing a potential state of emergency. They're the faces of uh, the disaster and they're tasked with trying to get resources and federal help to the people on the ground. Um, but for our story and what we looked at is that governors are now also thinking more strategically about um, storms before they hit and not just trying to react to them. California, the West uh, are experiencing what people predicted would occur in 2040. I'm Annie Snyder. This is Politico Energy. And today... Hi, I'm Catherine Landrigan, and I'm the Bureau Chief for Politico in New Jersey. Catherine Landrigan on the rising role of governors as they prepare American cities for the impact of climate change. It's Monday, October 18th. When I think of governors who are on the front lines of particularly climate-induced disasters, I tend to think of, like, the wildfires and droughts out in California, the hurricanes in Louisiana... But the Northeast has seen its fair share of more intense natural disasters in recent years, too, right? Yeah, we definitely have. And, and so the most recent example that we really looked into was the remnants of Hurricane Ida. And for the piece, we spoke with Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. It's been in office now just almost seven years. And there have been more and more microbursts in climate really intense rains. And, and he said that during his time in office, he's been in office for almost seven years now, that he's seen more and more examples of flooding and that it's getting more and more severe. And so he just sees climate change and the governors that we talk to see climate change as an increasingly bigger part of their job portfolio. And that's what governors do. When you have a disaster, you go out and, and, and try to figure out how you can help with whatever the recovery is. Hmm. And New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who took over when Andrew Cuomo resigned in August, she faced something of a trial by fire, or should I say trial by flood? Yeah, so her first few weeks in office really were upended by this storm. Um, I mean, the amount of rainfall that we saw um, in New York in just one hour shattered all records, and it really kind of forced her to be focused on this crisis and diverted attention for maybe some other things that she would like to be working on. So what does dealing with these kinds of natural disasters more frequently mean for a governor's ability to focus on their other priorities? It's kind of been uh, almost a distraction, some have described it as. I think we all feel like we're being dragged along. It's just becoming an increasingly larger part of the job. You know, we need to have quantum steps ahead of us. And I think... 
you know, what we've seen out in California with news and technologies on suppression and our personnel in terms of pre-positioning a lot of our assets. But there is there is something so fundamental that also cannot be denied. And that is climate change. He's really had to focus a lot on climate change, on wildfires. And I think some of the governors that we talk to in the Northeast feel as though that this is going to become an increasingly larger part of their job. And they're going to have to juggle this with everything else that a governor does, right? Hmm. And so the governors that you spoke with, do they feel that they have the resources and the power that they need to fully respond to these disasters? So a lot of the governors that we spoke to said that a lot more needs to be done. Um, specifically from the federal government. There, there are things that have to be done nationally, I think, to address the climate change. In Pennsylvania, for example, Governor Wolf, um, who has been dealing a lot more with flooding in recent years, really is trying to put pressure on the federal government to change some of their requirements. So I think in 2019, we had like over 5,000 uh, homes that were damaged by flooding events and not there wasn't one incident that met the federal threshold required for individual systems. For example, in 2019, he told us that Pennsylvania had more than 5,000 homes that were damaged by floods, but there wasn't a single flood that triggered FEMA's requirements to provide um, individual assistance to victims. And so he said, we really need to rethink some of these requirements and some of these rules as climate change evolves. It's interesting that you point to Governor Wolf. We talked about his plans to enter Pennsylvania into the regional greenhouse gas initiative. Um, So as these governors are seeing natural disasters that are stronger and more frequent play out in their states, what are they doing in terms of mitigation? Are they actually trying to lower their state's contributions to climate change? Yeah, so they definitely are. I think there's kind of two tracks that governors had talked about. So one being, what's the immediate short-term thing we can do? You know, can we get money to people who need it, who are in crisis? But also, how do we look at this from a bigger perspective and from a broader level? And so there was a lot of talk, um, you know, just about policy changes on, um, you know, working to reduce um, greenhouse gases. Um, Also, there was a lot of talk of building up infrastructure so that the state can be more resilient next time around. And I think people are rethinking just the state's infrastructure in general. Also, late last week, the Biden administration officially declared climate change a threat to America's financial system. With the announcement, White House climate advisor Gina McCarthy also released a plan to protect the U.S. economy, businesses, and savings from the potential impacts of climate change. The plan is a first step towards government regulations on federal purchasing, mortgage lending, and insurance, all related to the impact of natural disasters. These regulations could force the financial sector to consider the impact of greenhouse gases and disasters in their investments and lending decisions. Later today, the Financial Stability Oversight Council is set to release a report detailing the climate-related risks to the government and financial sectors. If you want more news on energy and the environment in your inbox, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.